Hello, and welcome to Every Moment is a Choice. I'm your host, Erica Behel, and I invite you to join me on a transformative journey to uncover the extraordinary potential that lies within every single moment of our lives. From the choices we make in our relationships, careers, and personal growth, to the mindset we embrace in the face of adversity, this podcast will empower you to embrace the notion that every moment holds a choice, and it's up to us to seize it. Join me as we engage in insightful conversations with thought leaders, experts, and everyday people who have harnessed the power of choice to achieve greatness, overcome obstacles, and create extraordinary lives. If you feel inspired by this episode, please read it and consider subscribing. I'm keen to know how it's impacted you. Today, I am thrilled to have Will Skinner on the podcast. Hi, Will. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So for listeners out there, Will is the CEO of UFIT Health, Fitness and Sports, Singapore's leading integrated health and fitness company. Driven by a belief that everyone has greatness within them, Will has transformed UFIT into a holistic health enterprise that focuses on helping individual clients achieve their goals. Whether it's elite sports conditioning, recovering from an injury, a weight loss objective, or simply learning to lift weights for the first time. This personalized approach has won UFIT a dedicated client base and several awards over the years. But Will's career has not always been in the fitness industry. In fact, for those who follow English Rugby Union, his name may already be familiar. So Will's professional rugby career started at the tender age of 18. He represented England in under 18 and under 21 sides, and later played for the Leicester Tigers and the Harlequins. He represented England for several years and even led the Saxons to victory in the 2008 Churchill Cup. However, a severe injury cut short his career on the pitch, and this life-changing event forced him to rethink and pivot his career. We'll explore his story of overcoming devastating injury and how his background in professional sports influences the way he runs his business today. And before we get started, I myself have been a UFIT client for four years, which is how I came to know Will. And UFIT has helped me evolve from a recovering breast cancer patient who had never even lifted a dumbbell in her life, seriously, to a fit and strong 46-year-old who can lift heavy weights. So I can deadlift a bit and keep up with my two boys. So I'm really keen to get Will's perspective on igniting greatness through health and fitness. Thanks for being here today. Thank you very much, Erica. Well, I was going down memory lane uh, with a few of those bits there. Um, yeah, I forget what I've done sometimes, but it's, um, yeah, nice to be uh, reminded. Awesome. Awesome. So, Will, you've taken a relatively unique approach um, to your health and fitness business. So tell us about the overall philosophy. As you said, you, you described it better than I ever could <laughs> to a certain degree in, in, within that introduction. Um, we have shifted towards holistic health and fitness. It's always a tricky one. Using the word holistic, I think it's probably a little bit of a cliche and potentially overused. In essence, your health is everything that you do. It's, you know, without your health, you, you have nothing to a certain degree. And so we are conscious that people are addressing their lifestyle in all sorts of ways. And we can't solve everything. But, but your health is, is something that ideally we should be thinking about every hour of the day, but also conscious that it's actually just not possible to be able to do that as well. So our approach is how can we help ultimately clients get the best 
results that they possibly can, ultimately get the most out of themselves, the best version of themselves, all of the different marketing cliches that everybody sees on Instagram or wherever it is. But how can we create that sense of pride within themselves? Um, and that's not just around the aesthetic element that usually associates with health and fitness companies, but around their, their sense of purpose and achieving things that they've never achieved and seeing, what, seeing what's possible. And we know the best chance of doing that is to focus on, on multiple um, facets of their life. And one of those is exercise, and it's probably one of the most tangible when it comes to, to health and fitness. But other, other bits are in and around how you're sleeping, what, obviously what you are eating, how you're interacting with people, what your social connections are like. Obviously, we're not with cl our clients every hour of the day, but we, we look to help and support where we possibly can and, and create an environment where our clients are comfortable and they're able to ask as I often do, because I'm the least qualified person within our business from a health and fitness perspective. So I ask ourselves, you know, very stupid questions, but ones that people want to know and, and, and want to want to learn about. And so for me, it's about creating that that safe environment that we can offer the opportunity for our clients to ignite their greatness or, or get the very most out of themselves. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. Having been a client, it's it's not your typical gym. You know, it, it's not a just a place to have a personal trainer, you know, count your reps and help you lift weights and learn proper technique. It is much more than that. Um, you mentioned igniting greatness. And I, I've seen that on the wall of UFIT facilities as well. What does greatness mean to you? Really good question. Because obviously when we were debating our, you know, our, our guiding statements, you know, our, our purpose, our mission, our vision, um, the word greatness was hotly debated because it can be seen as slightly elitist and i think i, I would agree when when it's attributed to you know to the masses when you talk about it from a, a global perspective um but we are a super personalized brand the way that we work with our clients we're super focused and so the element of greatness comes down to the individual and as i said it's it's about for me, it's about evoking that sense of pride within that individual and, you know, getting the very most out of an, an individual, making them realise what's, what's possible. And that can be the smallest level of change. It doesn't have to be creating the next Novak Djokovic. It can be about sleeping a little bit better, actually making change in their life that they've never even thought was possible previously and us making them realize what the possibilities are and taking them then from that one little small win to potentially a bigger win a few weeks down the line and, and then maintaining that journey because igniting a small amount of greatness or whatever that looks mm -hmm. like it's it's just it's one step it's it's never never ending to a certain degree it's not as if we're going to go right You've ignited, we've ignited your greatness you're see great. you later <laughs> yeah you're great if anything you you you're great and and this is probably where the elite element does come in you know the greats are people that do sustain that level of pride and that success from a from a global pr platform and so from our standpoint we want to work with people and and make people realize what's possible for the long term and and have that continual improvement mindset yeah. that is often associated again with with professional and, and a, an elite level sport why does it have to be about huge enormous things it can be the small things that are actually really really quite important to to everyday life 
Absolutely. And I, I think that's so important that in order for people to commit to something, it has to be about them, right? It has to be about their goals. And I I remember joining UFIT, the first encounter I had with someone, I can't remember who it was because it was around four years ago, but they had a phone call with me and they just said, you know, what's going on with you? Let us know, kind of, kind of tell me about yourself. What are you trying to achieve? And I think that that is the the best way to get someone commit to something, like you said, yours is a personalized service, to understand what motivates them. You know, my version of great is different than somebody else's version of great. Um, and I think that it's amazing you've built a business around this. You had mentioned a couple things on, you know, sleeping and eating. For, for you fit specifically, what are the different elements that you provide? I mean, I know you have nutritionists, but kind of what, what is within your sphere of, of influence at UFIT? Yeah, again, very important question to us as, as a company. When I took over um, as CEO for UFIT, still today we're getting better, but I found it almost tricky to answer my friends in the UK. They said, oh, you're working for UFIT now and really well done. It looks great on the website, but what exactly do you do? And and I'd be there almost from a shopping list basis, just listing off individual skills of each one of our staff, you know, physiotherapy, dry needling, personal training, tennis coaching, etc. But not being able to communicate us in a concise and effective way. And, and I think that impacted us as a, as a brand. And so really needed to hone down and to a certain degree say no to some things so that we became known for being specialists in a certain area mm -hmm. um and ultimately yeah we, we offer integrated health and fitness solutions for people as you say trying, trying to strive to achieve their own goals when it comes to holistic health do we have everything under our umbrella that is necessary to maintain someone's health or optimal health no but in the areas that we do we're, we're super focused and we have a strength of community and a, and a and a strength of you know almost self-confidence that we're able to refer out to individuals whether on the mental health side for example or the, the physician side that we don't have under our umbrella but we're not afraid that we're going to lose clients by sending people out to that because our methodology and our ethos is we're here to ignite the greatness of our clients mm -hmm. and if it means that actually sending them out to see someone to enable us to do that and sustain that, then of course we're going to do it. That's this is the life that we're that we're dealing with here. Why would we ever not look to do that with with those things in the balance? And so, from a very simplistic standpoint, we we have four sort of verticals to our business: our health vertical, which is our nutritional services, our physiotherapy services, and our health and performance services. Our, our fitness, which is one-on-one -on -one and, and group strength and conditioning fitness, and our sports, which is predominantly um, tennis coaching, and we run group and, and personalized tennis coaching. You know, around the island, there was an, uh, an acquisition that we did three years ago now and, and has worked incredibly well. And sport has been part of our lifeblood since day one, before I came to UFIT. And, and it's, a, it's a great way of engaging people and introducing people into the UFIT community and um, inevitably then they then find out about personal training or get injured and need to see, see a physiotherapist. And equally, 
it's it's a great way of connecting and and meeting people which is which is a big part of us and then corporate health and wellness as well so so we have some great partners in we look after linkedin's health and wellness uh, across apac and ubs we have a six thousand square foot gym there for example and it is essentially our our health fitness and sports programs wrapped into a, a corporate model that is slightly more um scalable and an approach that that works for that clientele from a product standpoint i think the thing that represents us best is our circle of care and the changes that we've made to our sort of traditional personal training service that we had been running for 10 years and and our circle of care is essentially a an ecosystem that our one-on-one clients come into um that gives us gives them and in our eyes hopefully uh, a, a very smooth client experience and it gives them access to a to a team of health and fitness specialists that work together and work collaboratively in looking to achieve those clients goals and so everyone from physiotherapists to exercise physiologists to nutritionists to personal trainers all working towards what that client goal is with no additional spend a smooth customer experience all under the same roof for example so as as I said, it, it just increases our chances of being able to ignite their greatness or achieve their goals. Great, great. I, I love to hear that because I think that what you're talking about, the the client the overall client experience, you know, when when it comes to health, we traditionally think in terms of, you know, doctor and patient and the the actual root of patient, the word patient is one who suffers. And we don't want to focus fully on people who are suffering, right? We want to people to enable themselves to take charge of their own kind of long-term health. And I think that what you're saying about the, the client experience really plays into that because I come from a customer success background, and we know from a customer perspective that every different touch point builds up their experience, right, and builds up their loyalty and how, how highly they think of your brand and everything. And patients are becoming more like consumers across the healthcare, you know, industry that we all know this. So when you're dealing with people who are making lifestyle modifications, you know, really investing in themselves to um, better their long-term health, you want to deliver a great kind of consumer experience for them too. I think that's so important. And when you, you talked about the, um, the existence of community, and I think that's an interesting there's the personalized focus on their goals, but also becoming part of a community. And I think those things are, for, for my experience at UFIT at least, is really important because you will walk around the UFIT gym or one of the classes, and you usually see people of all shapes and sizes. You know, one guy might be working on recovering from an ankle inju- injury. One person might be coming in there for weight loss, somebody else is coming in there for a different reason, but you're all kind of working out together. You know, there, there's not a, um, there's not an exclusive feeling. There's a very inclusive feeling to UFIT, which I think is important. And how else do you build up that sense of community within UFIT? You talked about your programs, but how, how else do you, do you build that? I mean, I'm, I'm biased. I have only ever been involved in teams, if I'm perfectly honest, and, and from the world of sport and trying to bring some of the very best elements of team and collaboration and celebration through to the environment. And it is a tricky dynamic because, you know, our clients and the expectations are that we have that bespoke 
one-on-one -on -one focus and that client experience. And there's a very big reason that a lot of our clients don't come in and choose group sessions, for example. But then that is sitting alongside the additional benefits we know that come through collaboration and that sense of team. Mm. And so for our you know, our one-on-one -on -one clients that are within the circle of care, that sort of introduction of team comes through the interaction that that client gets working with many professionals within yeah. their sort of bespoke service and, and them seeing that people are working together to, to focus on, on them, which yeah. is enormously exciting. You know, and, and we need to be better at it, but it's phenomenal. You know, you're making people who, well, you're, you're introducing a, an approach that usually is only reserved for the people like Novak Djokovic with their entourage of 10 different people looking after them. But we've built out a structure whereby that's really possible now and affordable, obviously not affordable for everyone, hmm. but, but affordable and, and is smooth. And when you are stepping into the gym and you're seeing your guide, your personal trainer, and they say, oh, I see you saw... Nick upstairs about your ankle instability last week uh, how is it feeling I've reduced our lower leg weights today because you might be experiencing some pain on that that's such a unique experience one because it, you know, we've adjusted the programming and the intervention as a result but also just making the client aware that they are they're special right and having that sort of those inevitably those those chemicals in in your body flushing through as a result of that focus and on how it makes you feel is, is something that makes us unique and is something that your average PT or um, professional that is working in isolation, your freelancer, doesn't have that availability to access. Yeah. And that's our differentiator. We, we've had to make some big steps and take a really long, hard look at ourselves over mm. the last year as to what is it that makes us different? What are the things that are at our fingertips that actually we weren't using well enough to, to make that client experience that much better? And it, it yeah, it, it seems so obvious now, but we, we weren't doing it for as well as we could have been doing for a number of years. But now we're, we put some big steps in play to, to make sure that we make that client experience world-class, mm. absolutely world-class mm. and, and a really client-focused approach, which is yeah, really starting to come through, which is very exciting. That's awesome. And was there something that triggered that hard look at yourselves? I mean, ultimately, you're a business, mm -hmm. right? And you you want to make money and you want to do that in a sustainable way. So was it something with the business that triggered that shift towards maybe we should focus more on the client experience? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm honest, you know, we, the whole industry have been put through the mill over the last five years with with four years with with covid yeah and we've gone on a huge journey as well and, and i have personally you know in terms of my experience and learning about business and working with people but we we back in you know 2019 this was this was pre-covid we did a little bit of a, a, a brand restructure and we set up our integrated health and fitness hubs and we moved everybody you know, our, our three sites within the CBD of Singapore, for example, which was a physiotherapy clinic, a group training studio, and a, and a personal training studio, all in under one roof. And mm. we said, right, here's an integrated health and fitness hub. We're going to nail it and almost just chuck people under one roof and, and thought, right, they're going to be integrated. They're going to be working together. And 
this makes us different. And it did make us different. You know, there was no one else doing it. And, and it was, yeah, four years ago now. And, and, um, and then after spending a decent amount of money fitting out Club Street, which is a, a really unique place, you know, five shop houses in the, in the middle of Singapore CBD, which definitely wasn't cheap and the rent's not cheap. We then had COVID and it was a worrying time. If I'd known then that the government support was going to come through as much as it did, and also the environment that after you know, after six months everybody was then locked in Singapore had and, and the gyms were open and had nothing else to do other than go to expensive restaurants or come and do fitness uh, or personal training or physiotherapy, then I probably wouldn't have been so worried. But at the time, it was an enormously worrying period, and when we weren't able to see clients the vast majority of our physiotherapists and personal trainers only earn money if they're seeing clients. And that was worrying for me. I had 100 people's livelihoods on the line. And a number of those aren't from Singapore and, and don't have family members that they can move into and share costs and save costs, etc. So I was confident that at some point we were going to open back up, but I had to make sure that I had a team ready and able to go when the doors opened back up. And so I had to look after the guys as best as possible and give them the ability to earn money where they could. And so I had to loosen our brand a little bit and go, right, yeah, get online, do what you can, see clients of the revenue that they were earning, give them a far higher percentage of it than, than what we had traditionally done because it was, it was a need to sustain and to keep a team I, I needed to. We had some other securing factors that helped us during that period. You know, our our corporate contracts with the likes of LinkedIn and UBS, the fact that we've been able to restructure there and also really grow our, our health side, our physiotherapy side, was enormously beneficial. And also we had invested into on our online options almost mm. pre-COVID as well, which again helped us drive yeah. admittedly smaller levels of revenue, but we're able to keep the lights on. Yeah. Which was which was, yeah, very exciting. Well, it, it was a good it was it helped us. It helped us. And then as I said, we then entered into a period where a, f a false economy to a certain degree. Everybody was locked in Singapore and, and was doing a lot of health and fitness and spending time on themselves or, or doing a, an unbelievable amount of running or cycling that they hadn't done for 24 years. Um, and they were getting injured and going in and seeing our physios. And so we had, for an eight-month period, we, had, we were the busiest we'd ever been. Wow. Uh, and I was probably sitting there going... Tapping myself on the back going, we've nailed it. You know, oh, <laughs> look at us. We're integrated. We're working well. The team are loving it. Well done us. And, and as I said, it was, a, it was a little bit of a false economy. It gave me a false sense of security. And I'd taken my eye off. Why are we here? What is it that makes us different? And I ultimately hadn't focused enough on that client experience. And so then when normality resumed, there was a wave of competitors that had popped up during that period, especially within the CBD, mm -hmm. you know, freelance personal trainers or personal training gyms. I mean, personal training gyms, we now have 15 P new PT gyms within a one kilometer radius of our club street site. It's, it's bonkers. Wow. And so, yeah, we were getting squeezed, really mm -hmm. squeezed mm -hmm. in terms of new clients in. We had a certain loss of trainers as well as they looked to go out and start their own ventures, etc. And and where our, where our health lines and our corporate and our sports were doing very well, fitness was getting squeezed. Wow. Um, and so 
So I, was just, so I said, right, you know, what are we doing here? What, what is it that we're trying to achieve? And went right back to our brand statements and, and, and right back to our, the reason that we set up initially, you know, and, and where we wanted to take this business and said, right, we are take, we've taken our eye off the ball and we need to come back to the client journey and our client-centric approach and, and make some big changes. But ultimately... Every single decision we make has to come down to our our vision, our mission, our purpose, and the ability to ignite greatness, and our mission of creating that integrated community for people you know striving to achieve their their goals. Yeah. And that's where, from a product standpoint, we we moved away from that traditional PT model of selling a fifty pack, and then a client extending it for eighteen months, and then at the end of the eighteen months, them going, oh. Well, don't feel or look any different. Um, I'm not going to rebuy. And, and understandably, them going, well, you haven't worked for me because we hadn't created that environment of you know, accountability, we had right. collaboration, of results. We hadn't put that in place. The client experience was not good enough. And so, yeah, that, that's when the, the idea of our, the philosophy of putting client absolutely front center of every single decision that we are making. And as a result, we, we, focus back on what makes us different, access to team, and, and that's where the circle of care was born and everything that, that comes with that. Um, but obviously the biggest element is client is number one. I love its music to my ears. So have you been able to, is it too early to see any results from that, from you know how your clients are achieving their success or you know staying with you fit longer or is there any kind of measurable impact of that or is it just too soon we are four months four and a half months in mm. with the approach we you know that there's without getting too much into the detail of it mm. but there are there are some really positive signs if, if i'm honest the most positive sign at the moment is for the for the previous five years on average we were churning 1.78 trainers per month we were losing and, and from a team of 45 to 50 on average pts that's a lot of people leaving the business mm. every year mm. um, and so inevitably that's a lot of clients leaving as well and and clients are expensive to to acquire and so yeah that, that was that was really hurting us i think we're a little bit too early to to draw too many conclusions from this but um, yeah, in the first four and a half months, we've only lost one. That's fantastic. And, and that's yeah, and 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 that's not to a competitor either. It's yeah. Um, it was actually a manager that's moved back into recruitment. So um, yeah, it's um, again probably too early to, to to draw too many conclusions. I mm -hmm. relate a lot of it to sport, and when I've had new managers come in, and you have a certain amount of success for six months because you're surfing that wave of excitement and new ideas and. But as I keep saying to the you know, management team now and, and to everyone, we've, we've, we've got to keep this energy up. And, and we get that energy through seeing results and, again, putting our clients front and centre and, and celebrating that greatness and making us go, actually, this is why we're here. Like, I'm loving seeing the change in this or loving working in this environment. I really enjoy and value the interactions that I get with the other physiotherapists and the skill set that we have within our team. That's yeah. enormous um, because, yeah, per session, and if you still look at the approach of paying, you know, a, 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 you know if, a, if a trainer goes, well, 
for that one hour I see my client, I'm only getting 60 cents in the dollar. I mean, if I work for them, I'm getting 75 cents in the dollar. Yeah, we, we can't match on that one aspect. Yeah. But as we know, the job satisfaction and, and isn't just about that one area. Um, so yeah. it is, it's a big consideration. It's something that we have adjusted and we reward in a different way. And, and um, it's a multifaceted element of how we look to um, create that environment for clients and also team members. Yeah. I, I think you've hit on such an important point because if you have an unmotivated team, how are you going to deliver a great client experience? You can't. It's impossible, right? So it really starts with internal, the internal culture, and you're, you're motivating your team. And like you said, it's not always money, right? It's not, it's not always about earning the most money. And there are so many people who are working with either patients or in the wellness industry. Everybody's burned out. It feels like post-COVID, everybody has a degree of burnout going on. And for us to deliver great client experience, great patient experience, you need to focus on your team first, right? And I love that you're doing that. And I love that the measure you gave was the churn of your employees, you know, the sign, the positive signs of that, because obviously they see a benefit mm -hmm. uh, to the new program as well. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. What is most exciting is the biggest motivator for our team has been our approach to focus on clients. Ultimately, and that's mm. that's where I'm going, you know, it's sort of shins, shivers up the spine. That, that, that's, yeah. that's the most exciting element. It's That's why they got into the industry. They didn't get into it because they think they could earn more money doing yeah. this than they could being X. It's because they they coach and they have huge level of empathy uh, yeah. with with for people and they enjoy it and so it's it's been amazing seeing that and seeing the response and ironically you know we're, we're getting the the results in terms of numbers and financials that we had been striving to achieve but just by that approach of just looking at spreadsheets and doing sales and xyz for yeah. however many yeah. years now going well actually we're just focusing on people and our clients um the benefits of doing that, you know, the, the financials are just a byproduct of, of, of good service and, and doing what we should have always been doing. That's awesome. I love to hear that. So let's shift gears a little bit. Let's turn to you, Will, personally, <laughs> and oh, <God>. your, your <laughs> background, because I think that there's, there's an interesting story around you know, where you develop this sense of, like you said, you know, you've been part of a team most of your life and everything. So, so tell us, take us back a little bit. What were you like as a kid and what led you to rugby? Um, probably should speak to my parents. But I, I asked them <laughs> this occasionally as well. Um, I was bonkers. Uh, <laughs> not clinically, I never got sectioned or anything, but uh, just an unbelievable amount of energy. And my dad was a GP and he said he used to have patients come in and say my my child is uncontrollable and he said what well, do you want to swap <laughs> and always have that sort of approach but i've got two older brothers and so inevitably was always was always in their shadow and would try and get out of their shadow by doing sport or doing something ridiculous and i had an unbelievable upbringing if i'm perfectly honest you know parents still live in the same house that they're in now old farm had 
everything from sheep to cows to guinea fowl to chickens to rabbits to whatever it was um and very privileged in that sense um and also was able to find sport and, and not necessarily just rugby obviously rugby was a big part of it but sport in general was as a as a way of releasing some of that energy and getting the very most out of life and loved it loved every single sort of ball possible and moving and the physical element was was something that I to a certain degree genetically not height wise but physically was lucky enough to probably inherit from my my mum <laughs> not my dad <laughs> um and yeah and and loved it and, and had a, an, an amazing upbringing great school that I was able to to progress within and a great group of friends and for whatever reason were able to have a, a mindset of, of focus and resilience to get me through periods. Yeah, and, and, and then being able to get me sitting here where I am today. Like, nice. Nice. So you became a rugby player quite early on before you were 18. But yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, so how I did say, that all happen? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, so I think I picked up a rugby ball when I was five, the local rugby club. Only if any of your listeners are <laughs> sort of from North Buckinghamshire in the UK, which is about 50 miles north of London. Yeah, it, it starts at under six or under seven, but I was so keen. And obviously my two brothers were in the older age groups mm. going down there every Sunday in usually what is very wet, very cold conditions, but it didn't deter me. And, and picking up a rugby ball and the physical elements, I absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. And and showed some promise. I think in my first year, I got most improved because I was <laughs> starting from a very, very low level. Um, and then, yeah, strangely, if I'm perfectly honest, I, I mean, this sounds awfully arrogant, um, but I was, I was <laughs> considered very good from an early age. And why I say that is it's quite rare um, and not saying that, that rarity is a, a good thing in any sense. It's it's more that saying to kids that aren't selected in first teams that actually the majority of people that I played professional rugby with were in second, third teams, all the way mm-hmm. up till under 16, under 17, under 18. And even, you know, people not even being recognised as half-decent sportsmen at university then make it into professional and, and international stage. Mm. I remember playing England under 16s and we were we were in a yeah in a training camp and the head coach said right there are 45 of you in this room on average two of you will become professionals and we all laughed and went nah we're making it we're all making it <laughs> and literally two of us yeah two of us are a group of 45 guys mm. who are elite level at the age of under 16 so we had done the majority of our growing and development physically from that perspective. And for whatever reason, the other 43 fell by the wayside and, and didn't become professional sports people, and others came through. And so, yeah, it was, it, so I was a little bit strange from that level. I had, you know, was doing all sorts of sport. Rugby was the one that ticked the box mm-hmm. the most for me, probably because I've got a horrible amount of energy and I'm a an aggressive little man, probably just small man <laughs> syndrome. Um, and the element of people saying you're too small to play rugby definitely spurred me on a little bit. Um, and the element of proving people wrong is definitely one of my um, motivations now. And, and rugby was a, a phenomenal outlet for me. And it is, yeah, taught me 
some very, very strong values and, and things that I literally embed into one how you know how how we talk, how we pay people now you know we yeah. have a loyalty bonus yeah. loyalty for me which which rugby has taught me is probably the one value i value the most and yeah and i like to reward people on that and and, and i would like to think that i'm i'm loyal to others as well yeah so what else have you learned in terms of leadership on the pitch you know, um, leadership in a team sports setting that carries over into your leadership today, running a business. You talked about loyalty. Are there any other lessons you learned? Um, it's, a, it's a very obvious one, especially within sport and a team dynamic. And it's a little bit of a cliche, but cliches are only cliches because they're true more often than not. Um, but leading by example, for me, whilst I was playing sport, that was probably what I was best at. Not necessarily because I was any good and compared to my peers when I was playing, I definitely wasn't in some periods. But I would, <laughs> to a certain degree, do things <laughs> probably stupidly with my body that, that would inspire people to a certain degree and put my head in silly places or on the, on the rugby pitch or commit myself and, and work in a way that was, was good enough and, and um, for other people to follow. And so taking that aspect through to any aspect of, of my life now, not necessarily just at work, but my kids, you know, I've got, I've got three kids now and yep. I've got to set a good example for them. And yeah, and so leading by example is, is, is very, very important. Other aspects, again, a little bit of a cliche, but authenticity is, and, and also vulnerability that comes alongside that is very, very important. I think when I initially took on my first sort of big senior leadership role. I was, I was young. I mm. was um, 24 at the time, and I became captain of, of Harlequins, um, which is one of the, the, the biggest premiership clubs in, in the UK. Um, and I was youngest ever captain of a premiership team. And, and I had the experience of working under some unbelievable leaders, you know, at Leicester Tigers, for example, you know, my first ever captain there was a guy called Martin Johnson and he was he was the World Cup winning captain for England in, mm. in 2003 so you know and I was probably guilty when I originally took over I was going whoa what would Jono do in this scenario <laughs> and I you know came to the you know and would always ask myself that but I'm there going I have no idea what Jono would do no idea so don't even pretend and I'm definitely <laughs> not him and so but what would I do and you know and I'd been given that position of responsibility and and so people saw that I had the decision making skills or the way of working or or that influence within the team that they trusted me in that regard so actually what I would do in that position and and be confident enough to to move forward with that um, but at the same time be sort of collaborative enough and fair enough to people around you that 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 we're doing it in the right way and so yeah when i say authentic you know being myself and then probably what i've learned most whilst working especially over the last four years is that level of vulnerability as well and, and showing people that you're human and yeah. relatable and we're 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 going through this together um and actually occasionally i need some support as well as supporting others is a big part of leadership i think and especially yeah leadership definitely from a sporting perspective i see 
I see it has has really evolved over the last few years and and how people work with others and expectations and and what are the important aspects of being a leader the traditional you know psychopathic alpha male type <laughs> leader that is you know you would typically or historically label someone with or a good leader with now doesn't fit yeah doesn't fit you know yeah. you're alex ferguson type yeah for you know a phenomenal leader mm-hmm. unbelievable but the in in today's society that does not work wow does yep. not work um but then saying that elon musk's doing all right (laughs) (laughs) so so who knows it's but it is leadership's an evolution right and and as with every business you've you've got to adapt and you've got to see and feel how people are working and and what they're responding best to and so yeah an aspect of leadership is around being adaptable and malleable to to the people that you are working with yeah yeah so I'm I'm fascinated by this, and especially because I know most people who will have known you from your rugby days will know that you suffered a an injury, which effectively ended your career and a career that was on a great trajectory at the time, and um, you know probably not something you anticipated. And so, looking back in hindsight now, we can see it's all worked out for for the best. You know, you're now you now um, have a great career with UFIT and everything, but at the time. How were you able to deal with that? Something so catastrophic, almost occurring. Um, it was. It was. It was tough. Um, I had. I'd had a n- number of um, near misses, uh, hmm. significant injuries during my career. I mean, I've had eleven different reconstructive operations on various bits of wow. my body during my eleven years of professional rugby. Um and so from when I was eighteen and I was in the academy first year at, at Leicester Tigers, for example, being told that I needed a back operation and the person within the club who had had it six months previous to me was then bed bound for six months and wow. oh. going, Oh my gosh, right you got to get through this and but you for whatever reason and the element of resilience and mental health that is very prominent today was non-existent back then you just you know buckle up and get on with it yeah and and to a certain degree i did and and you know and stayed focused and we had a good network in and around me obviously my dad being a doctor for one helped me Mm -hmm. in that regard and and a great infrastructure at, at leicester tigers the you know they were the top guys within the premiership and and so had a good support network there and then a whole load of injuries during during my career and ways of going right get knocked down re- rehab in, uh, operation recovery and so then when i when i when i injured my neck in, in the match that i did it was a tricky one because it wasn't um it was a one-off incident and I knew it was a it was a bad injury, but it wasn't at that time something that I thought right career's done. Mm. Um, and so it sort of gradually snuck up on me. I did three months of rehabilitation, hoping that I would avoid an operation. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of well, yeah, towards the end of that three months, then realised yeah, I need to, if I'm going to sort this out long term, not necessarily just for for playing rugby. I needed to have this operation, so I had a I had a full disc replacement um, with my neck, and then after the operation, it was a lot better. Mm-hmm. 
but then probably yeah even even a few weeks after the operation i just started to go hang on a sec i've still got a few years left on this existing contract i was 28 at the time and wanted to carry on playing but then thought is this what what's 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 best um and so i did another you know years worth of rehabilitation but during that time knowing pretty much that i was gonna call it a day and announced to friends and family that I was yeah. retiring from rugby. My wife hates it when I say retiring because it means that I'm never ever working again. <laughs> but I love calling it say retiring. Um, and so during that period, the club were able to give me experiences in, in other areas. I, I'd done my degree whilst I was playing. So I, mm. I did an open university degree whilst I was playing in yeah. business, which gave me a, a little bit of a, a base, if anything. It enabled me to get an EP in Singapore that much easier because I then had a degree, which was which was which was good. But it yeah, it gave me a sort of general understanding and some mm -hmm. academia behind business and looking at balance sheets and accountancy, yeah. etc. And to sit alongside my softer skills of of leadership and 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 working with people, yeah. And, and then I called it a day, I, which was tough. I'd done a certain amount of work experience during that year worth of, of rehab. The majority of that work experience was in within the city of London. You know, yeah. if I'm perfectly honest, you know, rugby is still a relatively middle class sport in mm -hmm. in the UK, and Harlequins, the club that I was at, is is definitely in that that realm as well. And so, the normal trajectory of an individual that's had a decent career at Quins is like, right, he's a good lad. You now go into the city and go into insurance <laughs> or go into banking or whatever it is, and and. And I did, yeah, did a certain amount of that, you know, a few times a few times a week going into the city, jumping on the on the commute. And after sort of nine months of doing that, I went, I realised I don't want to do this. this yeah. This this isn't this isn't me. And so yeah, so so if anything, it, it taught me that I didn't want to go into the city. So luckily for me, I well, I had career-ending insurance, which gave me the financial security to keep my options open. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the same time, the, the club said, right, we actually want you to come and work here, but on the, on the commercial side, so okay. on the office side. And I, I actually went, I don't know, but I said yes. But I said, I don't want you to pay me because otherwise I would have felt obliged probably and, and it would have probably be more formal in that sense mm -hmm. um so i said look I, i'm gonna test this out for five six months and and my wife at that point we knew that we wanted to have a, a sort of extended break whilst playing rugby the ability to go yeah traveling properly and, and do everything like that so i said right I'll, for the next six months i will i'll come and work and, and whilst i find my feet and see what it's like to work in a normal working environment, working with females for one, which I had never done. Like, it's, it's bonkers, right? Um, and learn how to pick up a phone and answer emails and, and come into an office and put a pair of chinos rather than a pair of rugby shorts on every day, which was, yeah, which was very strange. And, and learned an unbelievable amount. And then, and then afterwards said, yeah, actually, this, is, this has been really good for me. Um, and and they were able to see my sort of skill set and my leadership elements and the ability to pick stuff up and so far after that i i then after going on holiday for a while um for a few months i then came back and and became head of sales for 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 the club and yeah and, and was able to cut my teeth and and learn a little bit more and mm. 
and to a certain degree enable me to transition out of yeah out of rugby and move away from the guy that used to play a bit of rugby and is now got a job because he used to play a bit of rugby yeah to now actually you know coming in and I've got some focus and not probably was seen as the, the guy that used to play a bit of rugby because I was at the same club but but actually offering value other than the fact I used to be captain for the club etc um but it was it was a it was a tricky period mm. um you know I it's one sort of anecdote that I I tell but it was when I was um it was probably yeah it was it, it was a year after I retired and every year the 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 ground that we traditionally play at holds like 15,000 people and would be sold out every time. But once a year, excluding finals or cup competitions that we would get through to, once a year we would have a, a big Christmas game at, mm-hmm. at Twickenham, which is the national stadium in front of 80,000 people. And I'm fortunate enough to captain and lead the guys out in a number of competitions. Uh, and the year previous, yeah, I'd, I'd led the guys out and was playing in front of 80,000 people. And, and it's... It's yeah. It's an experience that you can never replicate in yeah. in any sense of life, and 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 so, and so did that. Then I got my injury. Then I retired, and so it was yeah. It was sort of eighteen months after leading the guys out. I was then in the back office team, going right. We're prepping for this, and we're selling tickets, and yeah. we're going out. And on the morning of the match, mm. I was inside, in and alongside all of the the back office team, supporting the players, and part of that support is. We put 40,000 flags out on every other seat in the stadium. Mm. And I'm like, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, because you're part, of, you're part of the machine, right? You're part of your you're tiny, small little cog now. And even though, yeah, you used to captain the guys and lead people out in front of 80,000 people and people used to know your name, this is what you do now. And you've got to swallow your pride and you've got to start from a few rungs down on the ladder and where you were and and you've got to build and you, you can't have any expectation of this is what I used to do which was which was hard um, because you know people definitely don't pick up the phone to you as much as they once used to and a lot of your identity vanishes almost overnight and so you've got to build back up and and look to progress and develop and and get enjoyment and satisfaction and happiness through through other channels uh and part of that is putting forty thousand flags out and go yeah i've done it and 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 so yeah it's it's a it's a small little anecdote but it was it was really really quite important things like that really important in in my development and, and experience in the real world i would say because professional sport is definitely not the real world and it was it was very good for me, very good for me, um, mm. and so yeah, and and definitely pull on those little bits um, when we're in tricky situations like we have been over the last few years with with COVID, etc. Yeah, there are so many people who are going through transitions in their careers. I mean, this is across all industries. You know, people have been post COVID made redundant. We know lots of people in Singapore who have lost their jobs and had to leave. And you have to pick up again, you know, you have to find a way to pick up again. And yours is an, probably an extreme example of that, right? But 
But yeah, I, I, I don't know if it is. You know, I, with professional mm. sport, just because we have a few thousand people turn up and watch us every week, why mm. are we any more special with our transition than mm. you know my friends who are moving from banking into owning a restaurant? You know, they've got mortgages and they've got families and they've got yeah. financial commitments and they have the same stresses and strains, and probably not as closer network as what professional sports people have i.e that sense of team and those people are around them yeah and so there's a lot of hype in and around you know professional sports people transitioning and and yet yeah, when it comes to mental health and you know i've i've played with or against gosh you know, I don't, <laughs> don't want to bring the mood of this down but, <laughs> but five people that have committed suicide yeah. whilst they are playing professional sport. But, but the, and everybody's going, oh, what is it about professional sport? What is it about that hmm. environment that creates that? And I'm thinking, well, it's not just professional sport. Yeah. We're just more aware of it because of the, you know, the profile of these yeah. guys. But it's life. Like, this is happening. So, so yeah, what, what can we do it in all aspects of life to, to prevent it? Um, yeah. And... And then it comes back down to things like exercise and health and fitness and yeah. social networks and yeah. what you eat and how you sleep. And, yeah. and so it all comes full circle. And yeah, things Def are very important to me. Definitely. And I think for everybody, those things that you just mentioned, exercise, eating well, sleeping, those are the things that will carry you through. You know, if the rest of your kind of world is falling apart in terms of your career or something, the attention, the consistency to getting out to the gym, going, actually going for a run outside, you know, not even going to a gym that, ca that carries you through. And I have to say, I went through my own version of burnout for my corporate career. And maybe the, the one thing that I did consistently was come to work out twice a week at UPenn. <laughs> I'm, I'm, and I'm not just saying that because I'm, because you're here and sitting in front of me, but it's one of those things where if you can maintain some one element of your life, where you are disciplined and you are achieving progress. You know, you every week my trainer would say, oh, you're doing a little bit better this week or whatever. It was that one little shred of kind of consistency and progress that I felt in my life. And, you know, obviously getting through something like burnout takes a lot more, takes therapy sometimes, takes, like you said, it, have, it can have really big consequences for people. But, but yeah, that holistic element of focusing on something you can control mm -hmm. You know, you can control your health mm -hmm. uh, to, a, to a certain extent. So that's so important for people working through burnout, working through huge changes in their lives. Mm -hmm. I think that's such an important lesson. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, you, yeah, the element of our sports psych guy, South African guy that we worked with for, for years at Harlequins. Control the controllables, boys. You know, when it used to come for game preparation or whatever, we... Yeah. We couldn't control what the referee was going to do or what the weather was going to be like, but we could control how we prepared and everything, the steps that we put to to, to prepare as our, ourselves for that match and the visualisation and the moves and the environment with the changing room, etc. And so what we can keep consistent, keep consistent. Um, yeah. So and, and that gives you a huge level of security whilst everything else is... <laughs> going yeah. on yeah if we can keep those elements consistent yeah it has huge impacts just on your on your on your approach and, and your mental health totally agree so you know you've dispensed a lot of great nuggets of insight uh for our listeners and for me and i would say i would ask you 
you know, knowing everything you know now from your whole trajectory of your career so far, what is one thing you wish everyone knew or appreciated about health and fitness? It's a million dollar question, is it? There are so many, so many small little things, but ultimately it, it comes down to what is that one vision, life-changing aspect you're and again, I don't want to get too wishy-washy and performance or Simon Sinek-based, <laughs> but your why, that that one go-to that's always going to keep you back on track. Because everybody falls off. Yeah. Everybody goes, oh, gosh, I'm just, I just can't be bothered anymore, right? But what's the one thing that's going to go and, and rebalance you and, and, and get you back on? And, and mm. for me now is my children like that's mm. that is generally the only it gets me super emotional saying that you know yeah. i i want them to i want them to be proud of their dad right and mm. and so elements so you know and so leading by example is, is is massively important so me working every day and being physically fit and then being proud of me is that is the one thing that gets me back on track yeah. uh and you know being the best version of myself for them, yeah. um, that that centers me. So everybody needs, everybody needs that ability to to recenter themselves, and then that broken down. So what does that look like for me? It's it's one my physical appearance. You know, the going daddy strong boys, and I'm picking them up above my head, and, and so yeah, that again gets broken down into right. I need to make sure I can shoulder press X with dumbbells because that's how heavy my kids are, yeah. right? Um, Obviously, they're going to get heavier and heavier as it goes, so I haven't really thought about this. <laughs> but, um, and so, having that, I mean, we, at UFIT, we call it that life-changing goal. You know, the, 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 the thing that really centers people back and, and almost is never really achievable. Well, it's, it's always ongoing, so never yeah. really achievable, i.e. you're going, right, I've done it, yeah. see you later, I'm, I'm complete now. Yeah. But something that you can break down and and compartmentalize and, and make a little bit more tangible. Mm -hmm. And so that is that is the most important thing because it, it sits alongside the the philosophy that health is always on. Right? Without our health we, we have we have nothing, right? And and Absolutely. Um and yeah, it, your health can't be fixed by one tablet, one injection, and equally it can't be fixed by one half an hour hit class <laughs> yeah. either. And equally, it can't be ruined by one bad meal, you know. Mm. And, and and so, you know, we all go through it, and we all think, oh, of course, I've had this salad now, and yeah, I look great. <laughs> uh, and equally, we all go, oh my god, I've had that burger, and I feel really guilty. Um, but it's 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 taking that bigger picture yeah. and just going, look, this is what it. This is a s sustainable approach for me, and this is what I'm happy with, and this is where I'm feeling proud about myself at the moment and I'm taking these little nuggets and I'm continually getting better and let's take that approach forward and and I'm making sure that I'm as healthy as I can possibly be great absolutely health is wealth yeah exactly so where where do you see you fit going in the future say it's you know five years from now it's 2028 where, where do you see you fit I think probably three years ago I would have said you know, I want to be in X number of countries and I want to have this footprint and 
I want to be working with X number of clients. I still want to be working with X number of clients, but only because I am delivering a product that is good enough to be servicing that number of clients, if you know what I mean. It, mm -hmm. it, it, like, I want to have an approach that is ultimately the, the most successful approach of any health, fitness, preventative care operation. And it is the most client-centric. It will have to be the most client-centric to be able to achieve that. Yeah. And, and so to a certain degree, even if that's one client and I'm only focused on that, uh, and I, you know, and it's just me, then, <laughs> then, then great. But I am blessed with, I've got, you know, 100 plus, 120 people within the company and 100 plus coaches, clinicians, trainers, that have that philosophy and so the ability to to work with that number of clients and at the moment I'm focusing on those guys and the clients that they have yeah so let's make sure that they're, they're right let's, yeah. let's make sure this is under what we are currently have with our, our fingertips make sure that's we're doing that as best as we possibly can be and we are delivering in what we say we're going to be delivering on Instagram yep. or whatever marketing channel we, that we possibly put out there and then as a result you know it's uh meritocracy right if we're doing it um then people will follow and we stay true to that and then as a result growth will happen it will be a byproduct of it but i just i need to make sure that still in five years time whoever we are working with is better than where we are today and as best as we possibly can be yeah. um so I, i've got to keep that approach consistent and and, and going through and and so that will be you know, there will be a whole load of development that comes with that yeah we're not a franchise. We're not mm -hmm. a cookie-cutter approach. Mm -hmm. I say to the team, you know, we've got unbelievable skill set and really multi-varied um, set of skills within all of our guys, you know, um, and but different skills, same values. You know, I, I, yeah. from our team, we're going to have a whole host of, of different skill sets and different competencies within the group, but keep those values front and centre, and that's, that's what we will always pin ourselves on. The, the strong values, and I think you're using the control the controllable philosophy for making sure you deliver that. I think that's commendable. So last question, Will. It's been an amazing discussion, by the way. But I, I do like to ask my guests, what would you like your legacy to be? You've touched on your kids, um, which is very, I, I appreciate that as well. I love that. But what would you like to be remembered for? To be honest, you mentioned it. I, I, and I know it, it's not in and around the business, but it it, mm. it it sort of is as a byproduct. But I, my children are. I mean, it's a very obvious piece of being my legacy. But they all I I genuinely all I care about is if I make them proud or not. And it like them saying, "Oh, my daddy's really strong. He's stronger <laughs> than your daddy in the playground." Yeah, that that spurs me on. As small as that sounds, mm. um, that really does, and, and and that spurs me on from a from a business perspective, from a health and fitness perspective. That's what drives me, and I've got to create the very best environment for my children. And so, part of that is the financial implications that potential success brings, and giving them an experience that they wouldn't get otherwise. Mm -hmm. But equally, you go. God, you know, I haven't seen, I haven't done a bedtime in three weeks. I mean, actually, is this too much of a sacrifice? Yeah. And 
and where previously I well definitely I didn't have that approach before I had children um, because I yeah it wasn't something I even thought was possible to have for someone else if I'm perfectly honest um, but it's it's having children has been yeah my biggest ever achievement and I yeah very very grateful for what they do for me um, so it it it's them. I think that's a beautiful statement at the end of a beautiful discussion that we've had. Well, thank you, Eric. It's been great. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been great. Um, yeah, going down memory lane and testing myself out within <laughs> being honest uh, <laughs> with with uh, uh, with a few of the the answers that I've given. But it's um, yeah, we're we're still on the journey, right? Yeah. It's from a business perspective, family perspective, development perspective. And I'm still learning. I mean, I'm yeah. I still consider myself as a Absolutely. broken rugby player that hasn't got a clue <laughs> and as i said i'm the least qualified person in the whole business um but luckily i'm okay at looking at spreadsheets and very good at asking stupid questions <laughs> uh, and would like to think especially over the last yeah in, in last year made some correct decisions yeah yeah and, and i'm really excited to see what the future holds for for you for now Thank you so much, Will. I'm excited to see your future, UFIT's future. Um, and thank you for sharing so much, so much of yourself um, and your own kind of um, perspective. And it's going to be so useful for the listeners out there as well. So thank you very much. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Erica. Thank you for listening today. I hope this has been a useful investment of your time. If you feel inspired by this episode, please read it and consider subscribing. I'm keen to know how it's impacted you. Now go out there and seize those moments.